Chapter Two of the Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas, translator unknown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gail Timmerman Vaughan. Chapter Two, An Interior. If we do not calculate too much on the memory of our readers, they certainly know the Rue Saint Claude, which joins at one end of the boulevard and at the other the Rue Saint Louis. This was an important street in the first part of our story, when it was inhabited by Joseph Balsamo his sibyl lorenza and his master althotus it was still a respectable street though badly lighted and by no means clean but little known or frequented there was however at the corner of the boulevard a large house with an aristocratic air but this house which might from the number of its windows have illuminated the whole street had it been lighted up was the darkest and most sombre looking of any the door was never seen to open and the windows were thick with dust, which seemed never disturbed. Sometimes an idler, attracted by curiosity, approached the gates and peeped through. All he would see, however, were masses of weeds growing between the stones of the courtyard, and green moss spreading itself over everything. Occasionally an enormous rat, sole inmate of those deserted domains, ran across the yard on his way to his usual habitation, in the cellars, which seemed, however, to be an excess of modesty, when he had the choice of so many fine sitting-rooms, where he need never fear the intrusion of a cat. At times one or two of the neighbours passing the house might stop to take a survey, and one would say to the other, Well, what do you see? Why, he would reply, I see the rat. Oh, let me look at him. How fat he has grown. That is not to be wondered at, he is never disturbed, and there must be some good pickings in the house." Monsieur de Balsamo disappeared so suddenly that he must have left something behind. But you forget that the house was half burned down, and they would pursue their way. Opposite this ruin was a high narrow house, enclosed within a garden wall. From the upper windows a light was to be seen. The rest was shrouded in darkness. Either all of the inhabitants were already asleep, or they were very economical of wood and candles, which certainly were frightfully dear this winter. It is, however, with the fifth story only, that we have any business. We must in the first place take a survey of the house, and ascending the staircase, open the first door. The room is empty and dark, however, but it opens into another of which the furniture deserves our attention. The doors were gaudily painted, and it contained easy chairs covered in white, with yellow velvet trimming, and a sofa to match, the cushions of which, however, were so full of age and the wrinkles of old age, as scarcely to be cushions any longer. Two portraits hanging on the walls next attracted attention. A candle and a lamp, one placed on a stand, about three feet high, and the other on the chimney-piece, threw a constant light on them. The first was a well-known portrait of Henry III, King of France and Poland. A cap on his head, surmounting his long pale face and heavy eyes, a pointed beard, and a ruff round his neck. Under it was the inscription traced in black letters on a badly gilded frame, Henri de Valois. The other portrait, of which the gilding was newer, and the painting more fresh and recent, represented a young lady with black eyes, a straight nose, and rather compressed lips, who appeared crushed under a tower of hair and ribbons, to which the cap of Henry the Third was in the proportion of a molehill to a pyramid. Under this portrait was inscribed, Jean de Valois, glancing at the fireless hearth, at the faded curtains, and then towards a little oak table in the corner for there, leaning on her elbow, and writing the addresses of some letters, sits the original of this portrait. A few steps off, in an attitude half curious, half respectful, stands a little old woman 
apparently about sixty. Jean de Valois, says the inscription, but if this lady be indeed a Valois, one wonders however the portrait of Henry the Third, the Sybarite king, the great voluptuary, could support the sight of so much poverty in a person not only of his race, but bearing his name. In her person, however, this lady of the fifth story did no discredit to her portrait. She had white and delicate hands, which from time to time she rubbed together, as if to endeavour to put some warmth into them. Her foot also, which was encased in a rather coquettish velvet slipper, was small and pretty. The wind whistled through all the old doors and penetrating the crevices of the shaking windows, and the old servant kept glancing sadly towards the empty grate. Her lady continued her occupation, talking aloud as she did so. Madame de Miserie, she murmured, first lady of the bedchamber to her majesty, I cannot expect more than six louis from her, for she has already given to me once. And she sighed. Madame Patrick, lady's maid to her majesty, two louis, Monsieur Dormesson, an audience, Monsieur de Calonne, some good advice, Monsieur de Rouen, a visit, at least, we will try to induce him, she said, smiling at the thought. Well, then, I think I may hope for eight louis within a week. Then looking up, Dame Clotilde, she said, snuff this candle. The old woman did as she was bid, and then resumed her place. This kind of inquisition seemed to annoy the young lady, for she said, Pray go and look if you cannot find the end of a wax candle for me. This tallow is odious. There is none, replied the old woman. But just look. Where? In the antechamber. It is so cold there. There is someone ringing, said the young lady. Madame is mistaken, replied the obstinate old woman. I thought I heard it, Dame Clotilde. Then abandoning the attempt, she turned again to her calculations. Eight louis. Three I owe for the rent, and five I have promised to Monsieur de la Motte to make him support his stay at Barcerobe. Pauvre diable, our marriage has not enriched him as yet, but patience. And she smiled again and looked at herself in the mirror that hung between the two portraits. Well, then, she continued, I still want one louis for going from Versailles to Paris and back, living for a week, one louis, dress and gifts to the porters of the houses where I go, four louis. But, she said, starting up, someone is ringing. No, madame, replied the old woman. It is below on the next floor. But I tell you it is not, said she angrily, as the bell rang yet louder. Even the old woman could deny it no longer, so she hobbled off to open the door, while her mistress rapidly cleared away all the papers and seated herself on the sofa, assuming the air of a person humble and resigned, although suffering. It was, however, only her body that reposed, for her eyes, restless and unquiet, sought incessantly first her mirror and then the door. At last it opened, and she heard a young and sweet voice saying, Is it here that Madame la Comtesse de Lamotte lives? Madame la Comtesse de Lamotte Valois, replied Coltite. It is the same person, my good woman. Is she at home? Yes, madame, she is too ill to go out. During this colloquy the pretended invalid saw reflected in the glass the figure of a lady talking to Clotilde, unquestionably belonging to the higher ranks. She then saw her turn round and say to someone behind, We can go in. It is here. And the two ladies we have before seen asking the way prepared to enter the room. Whom shall I announce to the countess? said Clotilde. Announce a sister of charity, said the elder lady. From Paris? No, from Versailles. Clotilde entered the room, and the strangers followed her. Jean de Valois seemed to rise with difficulty from her seat to receive her visitors. Clotilde placed chairs for them, and then unwillingly withdrew. End of chapter 2